Skeen returned to his office a few minutes past three o'clock. He sent Clara home. He wanted some quiet time to himself to think, to weigh his options. He removed his jacket and sat back in his chair. He poured a glass of bourbon and set a pack of old golds on the desk blotter. Clara had cleared his desk of all the scissored newspaper pages. The pile of discarded papers was back in its unobtrusive corner again. Lighting a cigarette, he pulled a sheet of paper before him and began to draw a diagram of the things he was certain of and of the things he was not certain of. He was certain that Edgar Cuddles True had been murdered. He had likely been intercepted on his way to see his accordion girlfriend. He was also certain that True did not usually drive around late at night with a bouquet of flowers. How was his girlfriend's note delivered to him? Of that, Skeen was not certain. He was uncertain whether or not the medical examiner was hedging his conclusions about the bruises on the back of True's skull. Was McBride not sure that they were there after the accident or before it? It pointed to the likelihood that the public defender had been sapped in the Jordan or put in the driver's seat and the Jordan rigged to move into cross-traffic, the cross-traffic being a heavy truck conveniently poised to help make it appear that True was the victim of a horrific accident, one which demolished both him and his vehicle. The presence of the public defender files in the Jordan indicated that True probably often used the vehicle as a kind of traveling office, and True was eating on the run that night, thus the presence of an uneaten sandwich in the Jordan and a thermos of coffee. The police report said that the Jordan was registered under the public defender office's name. That wasn't important, although there was probably a rule that employees and even the public defender himself were not permitted to use city vehicles for personal business. Skeen was not surprised that Detective Sergeant Gregory Hoyer had not noticed anything odd in the police and M.E. reports, and consequently had not pursued an investigation into the accident. He had not met the man, but had heard from Lieutenant Raggio and other officers that Hoyer was a slothful hanger-on in the department, and that he probably had connections in City Hall or elsewhere up the department's chain of command that protected his job. But, at the moment, Skeen was not concerned about Hoyer's status as Deadwood. He wondered if Dunlop, if he won the mayor's race, would consider Hoyer as Deadwood to be tossed into what could only become a logjam of Deadwood in the city's government. The more Skeen thought about it, the more he was unconvinced that Dunlop and Searle seriously wanted him to run for public defender. It struck him as being a ruse. What was its purpose? Was Edgar True's death in any way connected with that proposal? If True had actually been murdered, then by whom? On whose orders, and to protect what? Skeen was certain that Searle had twice lied to him and that he would lie again. The office did not receive the afternoon express in Observer World. He had picked up an Observer World at a newsstand on his way back from seeing Patrick Donovan. He reread Horace Gett's piece about Searle's visit yesterday. He thought, in light of True's untimely death, what am I being groomed for? Who was running the farce? What political card sharp was dealing the hands? Was it just to collect all the chips on the table, or was something more important at stake? He wondered how Mickey Kane was doing in the Observer World's morgue. Was he finding anything of significance? Skeen heard the front office door open and groaned when he remembered that he had not locked the door after Clara had left. Yes, he's in, he heard a voice say. Several men and two women came into his own office. The press.